Father, the opportunity that we have to open your word is one that uh, overwhelms us with the awesomeness of who you are and the words that you have laid out for us um, are words that um, bring healing into our lives. This morning, Father, as uh, you give me the opportunity to be able to um, speak from the word, to be your mouthpiece, um, I ask that you would um, allow for me to be able to uh, speak into the lives of those that are um, needing just what you have for them. Thank you for taking us, even though we are inadequate, and calling us your own. We rejoice in that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This has been an incredible series, uh, mainly because I think for me, in one sense, is that um, this morning as we were singing through the songs, and, and I want to thank Johnny for, for leading and picking out some songs, uh, my heart was completely um, overwhelmed by what we were singing. And part of that just comes because uh, it comes together with what the Word of God says. And, uh, and I thought, you know, Lord, you, you've, you've prepared my heart. Uh, you have come right to where I am at, and you have met me right there. And so uh, just through the opportunity that we had to sing to the Lord this morning and those very words that we were singing, he reached down, and he just said, these are for you. This is what you've been looking at. So I pray that this morning that um, as we take a look at this, that that is really what happens, as the Lord reaches right to where you're at. Uh, King Solomon, he was a very wise man, as Scripture tells us. Uh, he was the wisest man on the face of the earth, and part of what made him wise was being able to break things down to, to levels that were very understandable. And so, of course, um, that's what he did in the book of Ecclesiastes, and you may recall that in Ecclesiastes that he writes about the fact that there is a time for everything. He says, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh a time to mourn, and a time to dance. What Solomon said makes a lot of sense. It really does. There are different times and different places where certain emotions and certain actions are appropriate. And today, that's kind of what we're looking at here. And so uh, by now, you're familiar with the story, but allow me just to take a few minutes to review what has been happening in the story up to this point. It's the story of Nehemiah's return with the third group of exiles and how he rebuilt the walls. And the obstacles and opposition he overcame are recorded in the first seven chapters. And after he arrived, he looked over the city for three days, formulated a plan to accomplish the task. The job was completed in just 52 days. We learned that if God's servants will work in God's ways using God's methods. 
great things can happen. Now we're in chapters 8 through 10, where we are now at the core issue, though, of the book. And in fact, what we're dealing, we're looking at here is that this section of Scripture here is going to deal with the people's spiritual condition before God. So even though they were no longer exposed to robbers or armies behind the security of new gates and walls, they were required to deal with another issue. They needed a deeper spiritual life. And spiritual life only comes from the Lord, and it comes through His Word. It comes through prayer. It comes through confession and humbling oneself before God and deliberately turning from our wicked ways. And here, too, they needed leadership. And the spiritual leadership also came from Nehemiah, though he was a governmental leader, not a religious leader. He convened the people on the Feast of Trumpets for a holy convocation. Nehemiah chapter 8 records one of the most joyful and spectacular celebrations of the work of God in the entire Old Testament. And it's our joy and our privilege to be able to study it this morning. The spiritual renewal of the people begins with a challenge to the mind from the truthful word of God, and it continues with an effect on the emotions and concludes with a change of the will. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is to give you a central idea here to think about first. It is the truthful word of God. The truthful word of God is to be used for public proclamation and for personal study and application. Both are important for all believers. Last week when we began to look at this chapter, we recall that a large wooden platform had been constructed so that all the people in the assembly could see and hear the reading of the word. The scene was memorable. Ezra was in the middle of the platform flanked by 13 priests, six on his left hand and seven on his right. And acting on the request of the people, he brought the scroll of the law of God. He opened it in front of all. Then a most amazing thing happened at that moment. When he opened the scroll of the word of God, immediately all the people stood up. And this was more than just a token gesture, as we talked about last week, for they remained standing for the duration of the reading, which consumed most of the morning, except for those times when they broke up into smaller groups for explanations and and questions. We learned that the practice of standing while God's word is read is a reverencing and honoring exercise. And it's what we did just a few minutes ago to show thanksgiving respect, and honor to the God of heaven. But even more than standing, we ought to give and show alertness, joy, and full attention to the hearing of the word of God. The people here gave full attention to the word of God, and their lives were changed as a result of it. Six hours, six hours were consumed in Bible reading and explanation, Verse 3 tells us that Ezra read from early in the morning, probably around 6 until midday. That's a a long time. And in the midst of these sessions of the reading of God's word, 
they broke up into smaller groups so that 13 Levites could explain to the people what they had just heard. And that's found in verses 7 and 8. Thus it was the famine of the hearing of God's word that was really happening here. And Amos speaks of this in chapter 8, verse 11. And this is where it ends, and this is what he says about it. He said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Ponder that for a moment. There's this famine that they have been going through, and it's now time for them to be fed. It's time for them to be able to drink. This patient reading and explaining of Scripture line by line, paragraph after paragraph, and chapter after chapter was due to a hunger of the people for the Word of God. The first section of our text today opens with Nehemiah, Ezra, the priests, scribes, and Levites making a declaration to the people. Verses 9 and 10 say, And Nehemiah was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. The people are told that this day is holy to the Lord, and that they are not to mourn or to weep. The people had been receiving explanations from the Levites about what was read from the book of the law, and their response to this became one of conviction and grief. It was certainly a response that was appropriate. It was authentic as we consider this revival among God's people. But now the people are told to change their disposition. So I've titled the first section of the text here that we're going to be looking at, Rejoice in the Truthful Word. As the law of God was being read, the law also began to reveal the sinfulness of the people. As I said, they knew why they had been in captivity, and they knew their history. So hearing the law read to them and understanding what it meant was God revealing how short they had fallen from meeting God's standard. And in fact, as, as probably all of you would be able to um, attest to, uh, one of the things that the law does for us is it really reveals our need to be saved from judgment. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 tells us, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, ultimately, the reading of God's law brought an understanding of their trespasses against God. Their mourning and their weeping was not unfounded, but rather it was warranted. However, this was not the time to spend in mourning and weeping, for the word not only sheds light on our sinful nature, but it also brings great joy. Yet remember that the great preparer for joy is sorrowful repentance. And so, 
As was stated before, this was the first day of the seventh month. And according to the calendar that God had given to them, their Jewish calendar, they were to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. Now, just from a show of hands, how many of you in here know the Jewish calendar fairly well? Anybody in here have a pretty good understanding? Some of us do. There's a number of different feasts, aren't there, that are listed in the, in the law there. And the seventh month is probably the one month that has the most things going on here. And so that's where they're at. Um, so they were to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. Numbers chapter 29 Verses 1 through 6 gave the following instructions for this particular day, as we're reading here in Nehemiah. And these were the instructions. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets. And you shall offer a burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish. Also their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, and with one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. And besides the burnt offerings of the new moon and its grain offerings and the regular burnt offering and its grain offerings and their drink offerings, according to the rule for them, for a pleasing aroma of food offering to the Lord. Now, what it simply is talking about is that here's all that they needed to do. This was the day where they were going to come together. It was supposed to be a festive occasion. And so what is happening here, though, is the people became very solemn. And if you think about this, it says to blow the trumpets. There's only two reasons to blow trumpets. You're going to war or you're having a celebration. And when you look at this, you see all that is going to be offered to God. And guess what happens to it, though? It gets consumed. And this is part of this process of really celebrating together here what God has done. And these people needed to be instructed on how to act on this holy day. As we were reading about, they were in the process here of having heard the word of God and they needed to be informed, though, that the atonement is a blessing. So rejoice in that, is what they're being told. And three times they are told that this day is holy to the Lord. Verses 9, 10, and 11, and each time they are told this day is holy. The command to cease from grieving is attached in each one of these. The fact is that this day was holy to the Lord because the people were made right by the atoning blood of the goat sacrificed on that day. And so they had something to rejoice about. The passage from the law also declared that that was to be offered to the Lord. It was a feast that was to be celebrated in all. In verse 10 of Nehemiah 9, it says, Go your way. It says, Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So, they're basically supposed to be able to take all that they have on this day, share it with others. Those that don't have, give to them. And as we've already seen, this whole practice of usury that people didn't have before 
was done away with. And here the people are in a state of beginning to understand what God is trying to do in them to revive them spiritually, to, to enrich in their lives spiritually. And so in this process of doing this, they have to be reminded, this day is holy. It's set apart as a special day here. It is the authentic declaration of God's word joined with genuine repentance, though, that will bring and produce unending joy. It's something that, that we sometimes forget. It's a holy, satisfying joy that exceeds all limitations of what the unrepentant heart had previously experienced. It is not something that is divorced from reality, but it comes from the reality of our standing before God. See, the joy of the Lord takes hold as those who belong to him understand more of what he has done for us. And then entering into the reality of what it means to be forgiven, to be cleansed, and to be accepted. And when this happens, we experience joy. And this joy is experienced. Self, as this joy is experienced, self is forgotten, and we are enabled to live for God's glory. This indeed was a special day that required the people of God to rejoice in the fact that it has always been the joy of the Lord to take care of his people. Always. Friends, we have no ability to help ourselves when it comes to our own salvation. In my study of this passage, I was wrestling through and trying to understand, okay, well, how do we look at this joy that we have? And the joy of the Lord um, looks like this. I, I was reading Isaiah 53.10. And in Isaiah 53.10, it, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And, and the King James Version says, It pleased the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, goes on to say, when his soul makes an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, this passage in Isaiah points out to us that the sacrificial system, it was unable to be adhered to by the very people whom God had chosen as his very own. And it's not hard to understand why there would be mourning at the reading of the law and the need to be reminded that the joy of the Lord is in the forgiveness of sin. But we needed more, didn't we? In, in their day, in their time, they're saying, wow, we've got all this sin here. And this was a practice, these sacrifices that continued on. What I'd like to do is take a moment to just share the gospel with you. I don't know who's in the room today in terms of who knows the gospel fully or not. But here's the gospel. We, humanity, we were in need of salvation. A salvation that could remove all of our transgressions once 
and for all, so that we might be counted as righteous. And it was through Christ Jesus, God's own Son, that we could be made righteous. Christ Jesus would bear all of our sins, and he would be sacrificed for us, just as it says in Isaiah 53, as I read. And all the punishment for sins poured out on him. And he bore that for us. When we are moved to repentance, confessing our sins, and asking for forgiveness of sins, we are cleansed. We are made righteous. And we are acceptable. And friends, there is no greater joy, none, than to be able to know it is done. It is finished. And this is where these people are at. They're hearing of of the fact that they've had the sacrifice that they're going to go to for the day, and they need to rejoice in this, that the Lord is your salvation. This is where they had come, out of exile, and they were now home under the protection of the Lord, behind the walls, behind the gates that were there, worshiping together. This is the joy of the Lord that needed to fill their hearts. So we're going to move on to day two here in the passage. And day two that we're going to be looking at is find it in the Word. It's pretty obvious from the title and the text what was happening as a result of this revival. The heads of households were moved to take their responsibility seriously. The passage tells us that uh, the heads of the fathers, um, the passage tells us that the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, as well as the priests and the Levites, came together to meet with Ezra to study the words of the law. Now, on the previous day, um, all the people met together, but now it was just the head of households that met to study together. In fact, I'm going to just take a moment and read what it says right there. It says, on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people and the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. They just came together. Let's just study what it says. And what's interesting, what, what I love about this passage is that really it talks about a group of people who are going to take their responsibility seriously here. See, on the previous day when all the people met together, but now here we have the head of households. And each man was equipping himself to lead his family spiritually. There was a hunger to be equipped and to lead This is what it looks like when a father loves the Lord his God and prepares to reveal the word of God to his family, by the way. He takes time to study the word. By way of application, it's important that men, women, and children understand what their responsibility is before God. I would ask you to consider, what is your responsibility? You see, it's not possible for Pastor Rod to personally shepherd each person in this room and to hold you personally accountable. It's not. There are too many of us for that to happen. And what what we have to remember about this is that, you know, 
the elders, it's not their responsibility to try to move you as an individual to want to grow in faith either. However, it is each person's responsibility to grow in the faith by making the effort to be taught from the Word of God as a believer. So be at church and bring your family to church. Be a part of a Bible study and and spouses, help each other to attend the Bible studies. In other words, maybe you have to watch the kids joyfully and don't make your spouse feel that they're burdening you with the kids. It's hard sometimes to do that. Husbands, lead your family in reading and understanding the Word. Take time. Children in the room, be ready to listen and study the Word of God, whether it's at church, whether it's at home, or maybe it's in your school setting that you have, a Christian school or homeschooling. You see, this is not about ability. It's about your availability to your responsibility. Recently, someone shared with me that a child was asked if they could be anything, what would they like to be? And I can't recall who shared this with me, but it was just this last week. What would they like to be? And the child answered, a smartphone. (laughs) The adult asked, why a smartphone? The child's response, then my daddy would always pay attention to me. Friends, the point is, are you taking your God-given responsibilities of being a father, a mother, a daughter, a son, are you taking them seriously by studying the word? Do you know what you're supposed to be doing? These men that were studying the law came across something that the word that the Lord had commanded. And it was the discovery of God's commands that are found either in, in either one of these two passages, Leviticus 23 or Numbers 29. It was the celebration of the Feast of Booths that they came across. They had covered a lot of pages by the second day, but more to the point of Scripture, these men discovered what God wanted them to do. See, in life, the question that seems to come up most often is, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be doing right now? We have it for a lot of different things. Last week, Rod challenged us in his concluding thoughts to be a man or a woman of the book because it answers our questions. We were told, read it and discover what God's will is for your life. You see, by reading and studying the book of the law, these men concluded that they needed to do what the Lord had commanded by Moses. And it says um, that they were to build booths to live in during this time. That's what they came across, build booths. Now, I don't know, how many camping fanatics do we have in here? Do we have any camping fanatics? One, two, three, four, five. Thank you for being the camping fanatics. Okay, this is going to be right down your alley. For the rest of us, we're all going to go, thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live in these times. See, according to the law, everybody was to stay in booths. 
They were to be built on the rooftops, and, and you were not supposed to stay in your house and then come to your booth on the rooftop of your house for a few minutes each day. That's not the way it worked. You were to dwell there for a week. Now, I can tell you that I would have had some questions about this right away. Um, I would have kind of wanted to know why this has to be the case. Um, I'm not into camping anymore. Um, I did when I was younger. Um, and now I require the amenities of a hotel. <laughs> or I need the mikasa y sukasa uh, treatment uh, when I travel. And, and so does my bride. Um, our camping days with tents is way behind us. Feel free to offer to take my kids camping, though. Um, but, you know, the question is, why would the Lord require all his people to do this? See, it's not that God simply gives commands to us that are hard for us, and he never tells us why. In fact, God is so complete in his instruction throughout Scripture. He's so complete about it. So in Leviticus chapter 29, verses 40 to 43, here's what it says. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is where they lived. Know your history. Remember what God did. And the reason I am the Lord your God and that you had fathers dwell in booths in the wilderness when I brought them out of Egypt I made them to live in these little lean-tos, these huts, and they had to trust me for their protection. That's what I did, the Lord says. And how befitting for these Jews that they would find this command and that they would understand what they were supposed to do at this time, and they wanted to do it joyfully. The passage shows them talking about how they were planning to tell everybody and where they were to go to collect specific big leafy branches and sticks and what joy seemed to fill their heart. If you look at the verses there, and it says in verse 14, and they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. This is enthusiasm for it. Well, we're going to move on here. And we're going to come to the portion now where really... Um, there's a bit of a challenge here because we know that by reading God's Word, as we read His Word, we can, we can find what God wants us to be doing. 
But now we're talking about obedience. Okay? And this is the big challenge that comes to us from God's word. Obey the word. See, God's commands became their joyful worship to the Lord. And sometimes this is probably one of the hardest things for us to be able to deal with. In verses 16 and 17, it says, So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim, and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. I know what some of you are thinking. Like I said earlier, thank you, God, that we don't have to do this today. Grace is so much better. Um, And it would be impossible for any of us to be able to keep the law, though, 100% of the time, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? I'm I'm just overjoyed at this when I read it because these people's hearts are moved together at one time to do this. But I'm also broken by it because I also understand that for us as believers, we can be together in a room and not all of us are moved in the same way to obedience and to joy. Now, I want to take a moment here just to kind of press in a little bit. Can you imagine what it must have been like for some people to have to move out from their houses for a week and to live in these lean-tos, though? The excuses might be, I'm too old. I'm not healthy enough. That's not sanitary. I can't do that with my children in my parenting style. I can't miss work. I don't do camping. See, friends, obedience is not always convenient, is it? It just isn't. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16, we're given some words here about how we are to approach the commands of God. It says, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. This was their hope. If you obey God, You do this with with this love for your God, walking in his ways, keeping his commandments and his statutes. Then you will live and multiply, he promised to them. There's so much to be learned when it comes to having a joy that comes from what the Lord does. See, the Lord wants us to act in obedience to him. It's his joy to give to us generously. Psalm 100 tells us this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness and come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, 
He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. This is what these people were able to begin to grasp onto and hold on to. The Lord had not forgotten them. The Lord had not been unfaithful to them. He was faithful. And now their hearts were being drawn together to the Lord. And so what we have here is that there's a great joy in obedience because of the fact that we have a faithful God. Lastly, we see that the book of the law of God was read daily. And this demonstrates the people's desire to know and to do the will of the Lord. The clear teaching of God's word should whet our appetites for more teaching of the word. And so from the second day until the seventh day, the people sought out Ezra to hear more and gain further insight. As a result of joyful interacting with the Word, they received the strength then to apply the Word to their situation in which they were living. It's not easy sometimes for us to kind of consider, how am I supposed to apply the Word of God into my life? What is it that I'm supposed to to do? But through the faithful reading of God's Word, that can happen. Well, I'm going to um, take us to our concluding thoughts here for today. First, I want to encourage you, allow His joy to be your strength. Allow His joy to be your strength. Friends, we have so many other things offered to us as the solution for happiness. We also have stress and we have struggles in life, and we can easily allow ourselves to wallow in these struggles. It's something that had happened with these people too. They they saw their sinful situation and, and they had the right heart of repentance here, but they didn't need to stay there. Have balance in your life. Live in the joy and comfort of knowing that you have an everlasting inheritance in the Lord. That's what you draw on to have balance. Secondly, find out what your responsibilities are and fulfill them joyfully. What are your responsibilities? And fulfill them with joy. As God's people, we live in community with one another. And when we choose to live in ignorance... We languish as a church. We really do. Consider what God wants you to be doing. What is it that he wants you to do? And then finally, keep the faith with joy. Keep the faith with joy. Read Scripture. And I guess I'm already past my slides here, huh? I better take a look here. Keep the faith with joy. Read Scripture. 
Remember that the study of Scripture always calls for a response to these questions. What should I do with this knowledge? What should I do with this knowledge? And how should my life change? How should it change? We must do something about what we've learned if it's going to have real significance for our lives. And so I want to encourage you with these things for today. Consider what it is that God has done for you. Continue to read his word and to be joyful in the fact that you have the privilege of serving a great God. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we have been asking for you to use your word uh, to move us, we're also challenged with the fact that there's an issue that must be dealt with in our hearts. And so, uh, Father, we, uh, we ask that you would continue your work in us, that you would make us into the people that you want us to be. There may be times that we are just um, struggling in life and that we may find ourselves completely inadequate and not up to the tasks that are before us. And uh, we may find ourselves with a lot of gloominess in our lives. But help us to remember that we have been given a great gift. It is the gospel. It is that which we must cling to and love. That we have a God who is faithful. He is good. You are awesome. And we worship you, Father. We want you to fill our lives with the desire to please you. So would you give us a thirst for your word? And would you give us the desire to move quickly in obedience to the things that we understand and we learn from your word. We thank you for all that you're doing. In Christ's name, amen.